Thank you, Brother Tim. That's a sober song, isn't it? A sermon and a song. Very serious. Good morning. Good to see you today. Glad you're here. I'm glad to be here. I want you to turn to Psalm 41. And after you find that, find Proverbs 15. And uh, we'll look at several verses. And then I'll put a bunch of verses on the screen for you to follow along. Psalm 41 and Proverbs 15. I want to talk to you today. In fact, I'll talk to you, Lord willing, next couple of weeks in the morning services about Jesus the healer and how that God heals us. Uh, years ago, maybe about 10 years ago approximately, uh, we were on a cruise in the Caribbean. And uh, in fact, a number of our, our folks in church were on that cruise with us. And word began to spread on board that we, the boat began to kind of take a detour. Because when you're on a boat, it just takes a, a direct route. And it began to move in a different direction. And the word began to spread that we were going to pick up some survivors where a boat had capsized. Some of you that were there will remember this. And so people began to gather on the port side. I remember this very clearly. And a crowd was there. And uh, Paula and I and some others in our party were there together. It's the first time I'd ever seen this, only time. And sure enough, as we we pulled closer in the distance, we saw some smoke. But it was colored smoke, and then we got closer, and I realized it was flares that these people had sent up distress flares. And then the boat began to come to a crawl. The ship, our ship, began to come to a crawl. And you got closer, and it was a, a small, very small boat that had capsized. It was upside down, and not much of the hull could be seen at all. As I recall, there were about three people there that were in the water. And, uh, of course, they were very desperate. I'm sure that they felt like that perhaps they were not going to be found. But somehow, I don't know how, later some helicopters came over. I remember that. Coast Guard, I imagine. And uh, we, we got as close as we could, threw out some life preservers. And then um, the ship dispatched a, a small rescue boat from the, from the ship. And we're watching all of this. It was uh, an incredible experience. Because this was not a television show. This was real life that these people were in fear of dying, and they were out there just all along. As I thought about that story this week, I thought, what, a, what an appropriate metaphor for the mission of the church, that that's what we do. Uh, we pull up alongside people that are in trouble. We uh, throw them a life preserver, that is the Lord Jesus Christ, and we do all that we can to help them to come to Christ. He's the Savior. And as that ship sent out that rescue boat, as old gospel song says, to, to rescue the perishing. That is our mission as a church. But here's the thing. Jesus not only came to, to rescue people from hell. That's the biggest thing. He came to rescue us from, from hell in, 
and the death and our problem with eternity. But Jesus came also to deal with our problems in this life. It's a short life. But he left us here to do some things. And our problems in this life have to do with the effects of sin with Adam and Eve that continue to this day. And he came to give us victory. And because of sin and its effects, we, we are broken people. Every person in here has some brokenness in your life. They're just in different areas and different degrees. And because of that, you, you need healing. Life is very hard. The older you get, the more bumps you have. And there's more hurt, there's more pain, there's more sorrow. If you don't handle that, and when I say you, I mean the Lord handles it. But if you don't allow the Lord to handle it, you become bitter and you begin to poison people. You poison your family. You poison the people you work with. Any environment you go in, you're, you're an angry person. You're an irritated person. You're a bitter person. You're negative. And it's an old adage, but it's true. And I said this last week, that hurting people hurt people. And that's true. They've never been healed in that area of their life. So rejecting God's comfort leads to further pain. But here's the thing, church. You don't have to live in torment and pain. Certainly, in eternity, Jesus came to to save you from that. I'll talk to you about that in a moment. But he also came to, to save you, to heal you from the torment that you may be going through even this morning. He is your healer. And sin wounds all of us. And Jesus can heal you of your wounds. I want you to look in your Bible there at Psalm 41. This is a Psalm of David. In just one verse, there's so many good things in this Psalm, but I want to get right to it because I have a lot to share with you this morning. In Psalm 41, notice in verse 4 what David said, because he speaks of how that sin had damaged him at the innermost part of his being. Look at this. David said, Psalm 41, 4. He said, I said, Lord, be merciful unto me. Heal my soul. Isn't that interesting? Most of the time people ask for healing of the body. But here he's saying, God, heal my soul. My soul is damaged. I'm wounded at the innermost part of my life. For I have sinned against thee. Because of my sin, Lord, my soul is damaged. And and he pleads for the mercy of God. And God is ever merciful. And he's pleading for God to, to heal his soul. He's not even saying, God, deliver me from hell. Deliver me from Hades. Deliver me from the grave. But God, in this life, heal my soul. Is there somebody here this morning, your soul needs healing? You know, on a consistent basis, the psalmist said in Psalm 23, he said, uh, for the good shepherd to restore my soul. I love that psalm. I come across that sometimes, and it, I just stay on that verse. He restores my soul. That's for a believer. God, restore my soul. Restore my soul. My psyche. In the New Testament, the word soul is suke. We get the word psyche or psychology from it. The study of the soul. There is no better, there is no better 
book about the study of the soul in the Word of God. Suke soul. Lord, heal my suke. Heal, heal my soul at the most innermost part of my being. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus gave a parable of the, the seed and how that it impacts a person's the soil. And it's, it's a parable about the soil, actually. And it talks about your soul and your heart. And uh, he went into a room after he preached a sermon, and he was talking to the disciples. They said, what, what does this mean? We didn't get that parable. We didn't get that story. And notice what he said in Matthew chapter 13 and verse 15. This is on the screen for you. He said, for this people's, and pay attention to this, their heart. Their heart on the inside. You know, one of the things that, that I try to do here is because the Bible does is preach to your heart. Sanctification is the inside out. It's not behavior modification. That's works. Now, God wants us to work for him, but you don't go to heaven by good works and you're not sanctified by works. You work because of grace. It's what God does in you. And here's what he says. He says, this people's heart is waxed gross. Now, that's just an older expression. It just means it, it's thick. It's calloused. It even has the idea of being stupid. You're thick-headed. It means that they're, they're, their heart is so thick and so callous that they're not hearing the truth. Their ears are dull of hearing. Their eyes they have closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes. And all these metaphors are true on the inside. He's not talking about their, their external eyes, but their eyes of the heart, their ears of the heart. And hear with their ears. And here he goes again. He said, and should understand with their heart. And should be converted. Now watch what he says. And I should heal them. I should heal them. Don't ask you a question. Where's he going to heal them? He's going to heal their heart. You see, when Jesus saves you, he not only saves you and gives you a gift to heaven and delivers you from hell. But he can heal your heart if you will let him. That's what salvation does. Here's another verse. This is a good one. By the way, Matthew's the first book in the New Testament. This is the last book in the Old Testament. These books hinge together. The book of Malachi. Or as some Bible scholars call it, the book of Malachi. Malachi chapter 4. If you didn't laugh there, there's an issue. Malachi chapter 4 and verse 2. He says, But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness, that's our Savior, arise when He comes up, when He comes into your life, with healing in His wings. Now, the wings expression there has to do with swiftness. When, when Jesus comes into your life, the Son of Righteousness, when the day star comes into your life, very swiftly He brings healing into your life. And as we saw in Matthew chapter 13, He heals your heart. You know, God can heal your body, but He wants to heal your heart. And then He says, "Ye shall go forth and grow up as calves... Of the stall. Now I want you to grow. 
Some of you can't grow because you've never been healed at the heart level. You're, you're stumbling over the past. You're saved, you've been forgiven, but you're stumbling over the past. Now, a few weeks ago, we talked about the fact that God can heal our bodies. And last week, I gave you an introductory thought that God can heal your mind. And I want to talk to you in a very specific way about one of those areas this morning, about how that God can heal your mind. Because your mind, your thought life, is the key to your sanctification, to your Christ-likeness. Now, stay with me. Your mind is the gateway to your soul. And your soul is where you're, you're sanctified in. That's your, your mind, emotion, and your will. The way you think, the way you feel, and the way you choose. So when you talk about a person, that person is like Jesus. You're talking about their personality. That's their soul. But what comes before your soul is your thoughts. So, so whatever, whatever controls your thoughts controls you. One way I put it this way, I like this, it's true. You're not what you think you are. But what you think, you are. That's true. Proverbs 23, 7, I think. Whatsoever man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Let me show you a couple of verses about that. Romans 8, verses 5 and 6. You may want to mark this in your Bible. Romans 8, 5 and 6. Spirituality is determined by our thinking. Look at this. For they that are after the flesh... This is a lost man. A Christian can behave this way sometimes, a short period of time. For they that are after the flesh do mind. They think about these things or consume with these things, the things of the flesh. Fleshly people think about fleshly things. But they that are after the Spirit, and it implies think about the things of the Spirit. Spiritual people think about spiritual things. I want to ask you a question. What do you think about have you thought about the Lord this week? Have you thought about the Word of God? Have you thought about worship? Have you thought about Jesus this week? You don't just put on your, your Sunday cap and walk in here and you're like Jesus. You see, Sunday is a composite of what you, the effects of Sunday, of what you are Monday through Saturday. And there's no, there's no music director, there's no pastor that can change that. Your, your thought life determines the level of your spirituality. And then the next verse, Romans 8, 6, For to be carnally minded, you see it? It's very plain here. Carnally minded, to think about carnal things, fleshly things, it's death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. A lot in those verses. But you're either carnally minded or you're spiritually minded. These are the things that you, that you think about. It's not whether you have a Bible or you, if you have devotions in the morning, but you don't carry them with you through the day and you don't meditate on them. That's why it's important. I mean, what, what radio station do you listen to if you, if you do that anymore? Uh, what music do you listen to? What, what, what consumes your thinking? When you have conversations with people, are, are there any spiritual conversations? Let me give you one other verse about this matter, how that your spirituality is evidenced and even determined by what goes in your mind. Paul wrote the Philippians in Philippians 3, and he warned them about a, about a certain group of people. 
Philippians 3.18, and he said, For many walk, of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. This is not a good crowd. Whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is their shame. Now look at this. Who, who mind earthly things. These enemies of the cross of Christ, they mind earthly things. That's all they think about, worldly things. They don't have a, they don't have a spiritual thought. They can't. They're lost. But that's characteristic of an unsaved person. We, you know, one of my teachers in school, uh, he said, uh, lost people and our enemies are victims. And they make wrong choices. But you can't, you know, sometimes I hear people, well, I was driving up the road and I saw all these people with boats going to the lake and all these people over here. Well, they're lost. That's how lost people behave. Some of you, that's how you behaved. Or maybe it was some other hobby. You've just forgotten. That's how lost people behave. We don't get angry with lost people behaving like that. But as a child of God, what you think is going to determine your direction in life. Someone said the most important conversation is the one you have with yourself. Because we think and talk to ourselves all the time. I taught you this last week, and it's true, that my, my thinking influences my emotions, and my emotions influences my behavior. They're all related. Uh, emotions are very powerful. Feelings are very powerful. And some of you, you, you whatever it is, you want to change your life. And so, if you want to change your life, you just can't change your emotions. You have to change your thinking. And God gives you His power to do that. But He gives you instructions to do that. So, my thinking influences my emotions, and my emotions affect my behavior. So, you don't start with behavior modifications. Romans 12, 2, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Ephesians 4, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. It starts, it starts with the inside out, not the outside in. David had a prayer. This is Paula's uh, life verse. She loves this verse. And it's a very serious prayer. But he knew how important it was. And here's what David prayed in Psalm 19, 14. He said, let the words of my mouth, what I say, and the meditation of my heart, what I think, be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. David knew the power of the mind, and he prays for, for this to be true in his life. God, help my words to be right, but help the meditation of my heart. And here was a standard, help it to be acceptable in your sight. My strength and my redeemer. He knew this was so important. This would be a good prayer for you to pray. Some of you don't, you're, you're not conquered by what is impure mentally but you're conquered by what is untrue and the enemy comes in and he, he plants a lie into your mind and when you when you think untrue things you're led to wrong conclusions and when you have wrong conclusions you it affects your behavior some of you need to be careful who you spend time with 
because they, they give you bad counsel. Psalm 1 talks about that. Blessed is a man who walketh not in the counsel of the godly. Blessed is that man. You need to be careful who you receive counsel from. Be careful who you receive words from. They impact you. I ask you to turn to Proverbs 15. Look at Proverbs 15, 4. Proverbs 15 and verse 4. A wholesome tongue, look at this, is a tree of life. What is a tree of life? That's what feeds people. A tree of life, it feeds people. But perverseness, crookedness therein, in your speech is a breach in the spirit. You, you break people's spirit. You destroy people. You hurt people. You can do that to your children. You do that to your friends. And some of you are hanging with people that destroy you. They don't build you. They don't help you. I want you to notice in the verse there, a wholesome tongue. That's interesting. A wholesome tongue. What is a wholesome tongue? The Hebrew word there, wholesome, means that which, listen to this, that which cures. It means that which has healing powers. It means this person's speech is like a medicine that remedies a wound. That when you're with them, they bring healing into your life. They heal your wounds. What they say helps you. It heals you. You need to hang around people like that. You're in Proverbs. Turn back a few pages. Look at Proverbs 12. Proverbs chapter 12 and look at verse 18. Proverbs 12, 18. There he is that speaketh like, so there's a comparison here, the piercings of a sword. Some people, when they speak, they hurt you, they cut you. But the tongue of the wise is health. The word health there means healing. That's what it means. Again, they, they bring health into your life. They bring healing. Even, even in your thinking, they, they help to correct you. Some of you have been listening to people or maybe years ago someone significant said something to you. And, and that has cut you for years or decades. And you rehearse it and it, it has cut a groove in your mind. And you've got your identity from that. And you need to remember the words of God. And you need to get those words out of your mind, certainly from the enemy. And remember that some people speak like the piercings of the sword. But the tongue of the wise is health. It's healing. They will heal you. They, they, will, they will lift you up. And that's what we need. I cherish those people in my life. Because I'm better for being with them. So a spiritual person is one that listens to God and fills his mind with the Word of God. When I reject the Word of God, I experience reproofs and have consequences in my life every time. Now I want to give you one thought this morning and, and hang some scriptures on it. And uh, talk to you about the healing of your mind. And here's, here's the idea, that, that God can heal your mind of guilt. I just want to talk to you about guilt this morning. Paula asked me, she's at the hospital with, with April and Zach and the baby. Uh, Darcy's in the hospital. 
And she brought me to church and dropped me off. And she said, what are you speaking on? And I said, I'm going to talk about guilt. And she said, oh. It's a universal need. We've all been guilty. Guilt is a gift of God. I don't like to be guilty, but guilt drives us back to him. Let me give you some definitions of guilt. Listen to this. Guilt is feeling responsible or regretful for a perceived offense. Now, sometimes it is an offense, but sometimes it's just a perception. Sometimes it's an enemy. Sometimes we feel guilty for something we did, something we failed to do, or something we thought we did. I meet a lot of people like that, and I have to talk to them. They'll, they'll say, well, I... They, they're just beating themselves up. I say, you didn't, you didn't do that. I was there. But because of their, their past performance and their identity in that, they, they attach all of this to it. Let me give you an example. You ever been driving down the highway and, and you're looking around? This happened to Paula this week. And you look over and you see a police car. What's the first thing you do? That's right. You do, you do two things. The first thing you do is you pull your foot off the accelerator. Most of you do, unless you're reprobate. You, your conscience is hard. You pull your foot off, and then you look at the speedometer. And then if you're good, you put it back on. I'll tell you what Paula did. You know, when your wife's gone, you can say anything. Uh, Paula looked over there, and she said, Well, I don't know what the speed limit is, but I'm not going to pass that police car. Now, uh, some of you men may be like me. Some of you ladies may be like me. If I know what the speed limit is, if I know what it is, I will pass the trooper or, or the policeman. I have a clear conscience about it. The speed limit is 45. He's going 40. And I have, I have full freedom. I don't have a problem with that. But guilt can paralyze you. And th- there are some people in this room, you, you are paralyzed by something you did or something you failed to do or something you thought you did. Guilt affects us physically. It brings infections into your life. It, it affects your immunity system. If I have time, I'll show you this in a little bit. It affects your adrenaline and cortisol. Again, I don't have time to go into these things. It ages a person. Their health declines. Guilt affects us mentally, makes us anxious. We're unable to focus or concentrate because of our guilt. It's heavy upon us. We get nervous. Guilt affects us emotionally. We have a lack of peace. We're filled with fear. We're afraid we're going to get exposed. We're going to get caught. There's a lack of freedom. We become irritable around people. And what's wrong with him? Well, it could be they're guilty. We become insecure. Our heart becomes hard because we put our defenses up and we begin to justify things. Guilt affects us spiritually. We become isolated from God. Guilt leads us to hell. We don't repent and come to Christ. And then guilt leads to to suicide. Satan begins to whisper and say there's no hope. There is no hope. Now, God gave you a conscience 
to, and he gave you guilt to drive you to himself, but he gave you a conscience. Con means to surround. Science means knowledge. And this knowledge surrounds you of the law of God, of what's right or wrong. And you're born with a conscience. And listen carefully. Your conscience is not the voice of God. It's not the moral law. But your conscience sheds light upon the highest standard that you have. And the highest standard that you have, according to Romans 2.15, is the Ten Commandments. You're born with it. That's why a child can grow up and never know it's wrong to steal, but he feels guilty for it. He knows it's wrong to lie, but he feels guilty for it. Until he becomes educated out of that. Conscience is not your guide. Remember Jiminy Cricket and Pinocchio said, let conscience be your guide. That's not true. An educated conscience can help you. But once you get older and you begin to, to mess with the conscience, then sometimes the conscience is, is not reliable. Someone said this. They said the conscience is a built-in warning system that signals us when something we have done is wrong. The conscience is to our souls what pain sensors are to our bodies. It inflects distress in the form of guilt whenever we violate what our hearts tell us is right. So here's what we've done. And all of us have done this. We try to quiet our conscience. And we live in a culture that that has done this in the form of laws. If we can say, well, that's not wrong. And if you say it often enough, people begin to believe it. Certain sins. Guilt is like the red light on the dashboard of your car. You can either stop and deal with the problem or break out the light. But if you break out the light, you're going to have problems. And we have a culture that just breaks out the lights. But there may be some of you that, that are just breaking out the lights. And God has given you that guilt. I read a book years ago that was very helpful to me, and I recommended it in counseling to people. It's by a man named Charles Sell, S-E-L-L, called Unfinished Business. He uh, grew up, he had a lot of problems in his marriage and his friendships. And he had some unfinished business. He had some things in relationship with his father. And uh, it sounds like some psychological mumbo-jumbo, but it's, it's deeper than that. And uh, he had some issues in his mind, some, some stuff in his past. Very, very insightful. I remember reading on the airplane years ago, or part of it, not the whole thing, on the plane. But he had this little story in it, this illustration. I'll read it to you. I almost didn't read it because of the story, but... It's so profound. I'm going to read it to you. Here's what he says. He said, A man entered a bar and bought a glass of beer and then immediately threw it into the bartender's face. Quickly grabbing a napkin, he, he helped the bartender dry his face while he apologized with great remorse. I'm so sorry, he said. I have this compulsion to do this. I fight it, but I don't know what to do about it. Well, you had better do something about your problem, the bartender replied. You can be sure I'll remember you and will never serve you another drink until you get help. It was months before the man faced the bartender again. When he asked for a beer, the bartender refused. Then the man explained that he had been seeing a psychiatrist and that his problem was solved. Convinced it was now okay to serve him, the bartender poured him a drink. 
The man took the glass and splashed the beer into the barkeeper's astonished face. I thought you were cured. The shocked bartender screamed. I am, said the man. I still do it, but I don't feel guilty about it anymore. You see, the cure, the cure in his mind was the ability to do wrong, but I don't feel bad about it anymore. I'm cured. Now I can go further in my sin, but I don't feel bad about it anymore. You know, a lot of these shootings and so forth, that's exactly what it is. I don't feel bad about it. I have no, I have no conscience. Now here's, here's what we do when we're guilty. Guilt will cause you to do one of three things. Number one, guilt will cause you to respond to God's voice and make things right. When you become guilty, you, you say, I, I need to respond to God. I've got to make this right. Or number two, guilt will cause you to quieten the voice of guilt, of accusation, and justify your behavior. And you'll just stuff it. Or three, this is very common, guilt will cause you to compensate for the wrong behavior. And only one of these three things will alleviate the guilt. And that is the first one. Some people blame shift. That's in all of us. We got it from our parents in the garden after they sinned. God came to Adam. He said, Adam, what's up? He knew. And Adam said, he, first he blamed God. He said, the woman that thou gavest me. God, this was your idea. This one you gave me, he blamed her and he blamed God. Then God came to Eve and he said, Eve, what's going on? He said, that snake over there. And, and the first two human beings that were ever created, they began to blame shift. Now, they were guilty. I'll show you that in a minute. They were very guilty. But they did not assume and claim the guilt. Some people ignore their guilt. They stuff it. They just kind of hope it goes away. It'll get better. And then, as I mentioned, some people try to compensate. They try to do things. There's a little diagram I, I draw for people sometimes where people try to balance guilt with blame. It's like a seesaw. I'm guilty. Well, if I can blame the other person, it will swage my guilt and help me come up here. And I blame society. It's my mom's fault. It's my dad's fault. It's this person's fault. And it'll make my guilt go away. No, it won't. You've got to own your part. I remember one time we came home. I was a little kid, maybe 10 years old. And... Uh, there was a big sack on our front porch, just a paper sack, big paper sack. And it was uh, me, Melanie, and Hoss, my brother and sister, and my mom. Pulled up in the driveway. We got out. We walked up there. And mom said, what is that? We got up and we looked in it. And uh, it was a bunch of groceries. And she said, I know what it is. I said, what is it? She said, it's a peace offering. And she said, our neighbor got upset about something. And this is their way of trying to say they're sorry. It's 
a piece of, I'd never heard that expression before. You know what that is? That's compensation. Well, I'll feel better if I kind of do something. When, when what you have to do is you have to own it, you have to confess it, you have to acknowledge it, because we'll never be clean before the Lord until we say, I'm guilty. I did this. And I was, I was wrong. Guilt torments us. It causes us to lose rest. And so we, we, we compensate. We try to quiet the voice of guilt. And some people have done this so much that they come to the place where they cannot sense God speaking. They even have a place where, where their mind is reprobate. They, they have no feeling. Did you know that? They can come to church. They have no sense of God speaking. They used to feel guilty. But now they got angry at the gospel. They got angry at the preacher. And so they they balance their guilt with blame. Because being under conviction is a very uncomfortable thing. But you can't be saved until you're under conviction. And there's no need to seek forgiveness. There's no need to seek for a Savior until you're guilty. Let me show you a few verses in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. This is, these are terrible verses. They're true verses, but they're terrible to read. Having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. These are people that are lost. Now, look at this, being past feeling. And I'm going to come back to that. Now they're past feeling. And now they, because they're past feeling, they've given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. They're past feeling. You know what that means? They're unable to grieve. And the word, the word means apathetic. They don't care. They're not going to say, I'm sorry. They don't feel bad about their sin. They can go in a theater and shoot people up. They can go to school and shoot people. They can go to church and shoot people. They can shoot children. They do not have a conscience. Or the moral issue here, to get, they've given themselves over to lasciviousness, to work on uncleanness with greediness because they're past feeling. There's nothing there. You cannot rehabilitate that. It's impossible. Because they didn't respond to, the, listen, to guilt. Listen, if it can be done, you can do it. 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 2, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Your conscience can be seared. Seared with a hot iron, we get the, the Greek word, if I put it up here for you, you would immediately recognize it. Transliterated, we get the word cauterized from it. If you, some of you had medical procedures where you had... A blood vessel or something cauterized. They take something uh, hot there in, in your body and they cauterize that and they burn it. When you cauterize your skin, it becomes insensitive. The nerve endings are dead. And the Bible says that happens to a person's conscience. Listen, if, you, if you're under conviction, thank God for it. Do you need forgiveness this morning to remove the condemnation? Do you need to be healed in your mind of guilt?
Let me show you some verses here that will help you. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 14. This is a powerful verse. Hebrews 9, 14. How much more, he's comparing the, the sacrifices of animals in the Old Testament. How much more shall the blood of Christ that he shed on Calvary, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God. Notice the Trinity is mentioned in this verse because the Trinity was involved in our redemption. The blood of Jesus Christ, who through the eternal spirit, that means when he was on the cross, the spirit of God was helping him without spot to God. And here's what the blood of Jesus does. It purges your conscience. There is no compensation. Jesus doesn't cleanse you externally. There is no good deed. It's what Jesus has done. When Jesus died on the cross... And you receive that sacrifice by faith. And you you accept Him as your Savior. He purges your conscience. So you stand before Him white as snow. You're holy. You're righteous. And watch this. He purges your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. So now I'm not in this compensation thing. Well, i got to do these things to kind of... Gain favor with God. No, now have a joyful conscience. Now, I don't have to do some things. I get to do these things. Because I'm saved. I'm forgiven. I'm free. I've been let out of prison. God has forgiven me. My conscience has been purged. I'm not guilty anymore. I'm still not perfect. But my position with God is secure. My record is clear. And my conscience is is clean, knowing what the Bible teaches. Now I don't have to engage in in dead works and ritualism to serve the, the living God because I have the life of God in me. Has your conscience ever been purged from dead works? If it hasn't been, then you're miserable. Because everything you do is a have to. I have to go to church. I have to do this. The Lord Jesus changes you where you get to do things. I get to go to choir practice. I get to do these things. I get to serve God. I get to go to church. I get to work in the nursery. I get to tell people about Jesus. I get to give to God. I get to do these things. I'm telling you, I I tell people, I catch myself, and I feel that way, but I'll tell people, yeah, I've got, I I have to preach tomorrow. And almost there, say, no, I get to do that. And sometimes people don't tell me, they probably say, well, that, that's a small thing. No, it's not to me. Because I don't want the Lord, I don't want the Lord to feel like, and He knows my heart, but to feel like that I, I have to do these things. I get to do these things. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7, in whom, the whom is Jesus, personal pronoun, we have redemption through His blood. The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. It's not your worthiness. It's not your goodness. It's His blood. It's His grace. He forgives you, not because of who you are, but because of who He is. It's not your goodness. It's His goodness. And your pride will keep you away from the cross. Well, I'm... I just, I'm just better than that. No, you're not. You could do a whole lot worse. 
when you humble yourself and say, God, I, I am a wretched sinner. I love this one, Isaiah 43, 25. I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions. When you blot something out, you can't see it anymore. It's hidden for mine own sake. And he says, I will not remember thy sins. God remembers to forget. I will not remember your sins. And I want you to notice that he blots out, watch this, our transgressions. You know what that is? That's our intentional sins. That's the stuff we plan to do wrong. He not only will not remember what we do wrong, but when we plan to sin, the Bible says that he blots out our transgressions. Isaiah chapter 55 and verse 7, Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return unto the Lord. Watch this. He will have mercy upon him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, everybody has had a night in your life. You've had a week. You've had a month. You've had a season in your life when you've done some really bad things. You can run to the Heavenly Father. And the Bible says, no matter what you've done, He will abundantly pardon. Watch this one. Daniel chapter 9 and verse 9. To the Lord our God belong mercies, plural. Mercies. And forgivenesses, plural. Though we have rebelled against Him. In your rebellion. In your running and your cursing God. And you're hating God. He has mercies, plural. He has forgivenesses for you over and again. Micah 7, 18 and 19. Who is a God like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity and passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? Now look at this. He retaineth not his anger forever because he delighteth in mercy. God loves mercy. He delights in mercy. Richard Sibbs, the old theologian, said this, There is more mercy in Christ than sin in us. You can't go too far for God's mercy to reach you. In verse 19, He will turn again. He will have compassion upon us. He will subdue our iniquities. And thou wilt cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. All of your sins. And as the old preacher said, he'll put up a sign that says no fishing. Here's what the devil will do. He'll pull up that stuff and remind you, hey, you remember what you did? Well, God doesn't remember. Why should you remember? God doesn't remember those things. You're justified. That is a legal declaration that you are righteous in the eyes of God, as righteous as His Son, Jesus Christ. Let me give you one more verse about this. Acts chapter 13, verses 38 and 39. Be it known unto you, therefore, many women, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins, and by him, that is Jesus, all that believe when you rest in Him are justified, look at this, from all things. From every sin. 
from which he could not be justified by the law of Moses. There's no human effort that can justify you. But faith in, ju- faith in Jesus justifies you from all things, from every sin. Now, I don't care what the enemy's been saying. This is the word of God. And listen, when it goes into your mind, watch. It affects your emotions. And when it affects your emotions, it will, it will affect your behavior. Some of you have been doubting your salvation because you listen to the wrong voices. Some of you have been hanging around with this loser's complex, with this guilt, this cheap guilt, I call it. That, that's, you're, you're not guilty in the eyes of God. God has cleansed you. This morning, what is keeping you from receiving forgiveness? It's available. Have you ever received the free forgiveness of God? Psalm 86, 5, For thou, Lord, art good and ready to forgive, ready to forgive, plenteous in mercy, all them that call upon thee. Psalm 130, verses 3 and 4, If thou, Lord, shouldest mark iniquities, O Lord, who shall stand? It's a rhetorical question, none of us. But there is forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared. Now, you can either live with condemnation or with confidence. And your confidence is not in yourself, but in Christ. First John chapter 3 and verse 20. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart. And knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence toward God. The word condemn there means to find fault or blame, to take note against. But this is not someone else doing this. This is what we do to ourselves. Our heart condemns us. We take note against ourselves. And we walk around with this guilt because of what the enemy tells us. In some cases... We, we are guilty because we, we compensate and we've never owned up to it. The word confidence there means to be frank and blunt. It means to be able to tell God to be free with your words. Guilt brings condemnation. Forgiveness brings confidence. Some of you are hiding from God. You don't have confidence to pray. You don't have confidence sing you don't have confidence to enjoy God. Adam and Eve sinned. Genesis chapter three, verse eight. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves. Pay attention to that. They hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. That's what every person does when they've sinned. Hid themselves in the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam. God always seeks us out. And said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden. I was afraid. See that? I was fearful. Because I was naked. And here's a second use of I hid myself. They're hiding. And God said, Who told thee that thou was naked? Who told thee? You know who told them? The accuser told them. Their conscience told them. They had this crushing weight of guilt and this fear. 
that they were going to be exposed when God already knew. And so they were hiding. Proverbs chapter 28 and verse 1, The wicked flee when no man pursueth, but the righteous are bold as a lion. I want to recommend a book to you by Bill O'Reilly called Killing the SS. It's about the war criminals from the Nazi regime. It's fascinating. It's just fascinating. I've read all of his his history books. And um, he talks in there about the history and goes even up into as much as four or five years ago where they're tracking down these war criminals and how they've been hiding. He talks about this lady, which is one of the most fascinating ones, that they found in San Francisco. And there, there was a couple that dedicated their lives, a Jewish couple, to track these people down. And with the advent of the Internet and different things, they were able to find them. And it talked about how they, they just created new names and identities. And many of them wouldn't go out of the house. They were hiding. Just fascinating stories. Sin makes you hide. Guilt makes you hide. Are you condemned this morning? So much more I, I want to give you, but I'm out of time. A little boy was visiting his grandparents and was given his first slingshot. He practiced in the woods, but he could never hit his target. So he went back to his grandmother's backyard where he spied her little pet duck. On an impulse, he took aim and let fly. The stone hit and the duck fell dead. The boy panicked. Desperately, he hid the dead duck in a woodpile, only to look up and see his sister watching. Sally had seen it all, but she said nothing. After lunch, Grandma said, Sally, let's wash the dishes. Sally said, Johnny told me he wanted to help in the kitchen today. Didn't you, Johnny? And she came alongside him and whispered, remember the duck. So Johnny did the dishes. Later, Grandpa asked if the children wanted to go fishing. Sally smiled and said, that's all taken care of. Johnny wants to do it. Again, she whispered, remember the duck. Johnny stayed while Sally went fishing. After several days of Johnny doing both his chores and Sally's, finally he couldn't stand it. He confessed to Grandma that he'd killed the duck. I know, Johnny, she said, giving him a hug. I was standing at the window, and I saw the whole thing. Because I love you, I forgave you. But I wondered how long you would let Sally... Make a slave of you. Some of you are slaves to guilt. You try to get your approval of God by compensation, by hiding. You know, we, we do everything we can to cover our sin. Well, God will do everything He can to expose it. But if you will uncover your sin, God will cover it. He that covereth his sins shall not prosper. This morning, if you reject God's comfort 
and provision, it will lead to further pain and suffering and cause you to poison the environment that you're in. Don't, don't quieten the voice any longer. Don't compensate your guilt and balance it with blame. Own it. Say, I did it. And Lord, I need some help. I need you to come and cleanse and purge my conscience with the blood of Jesus. Would you to bow your head with me this morning, please? I wonder if there's someone here.